Well, hey, good morning. As you make your way back to your seat, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Welcome to Jacksonville Prez. If you could, let's stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. If you don't have a print Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. Grab a Bible. We'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them. Welcome uh, to church. My name is Dustin. I get to be the lead pastor here. We are into our third or fourth sermon on the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 this morning. And we're just going to read sort of the broader section, uh, but really just focusing only on verse 10 this morning. So with that in mind, friend, welcome to church and hear Jesus' teaching to us. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy is your name. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as your beloved people. And Holy Spirit, we pray that right now that you would give us the eyes of faith, that we would see your word, holy and inspired. Lord, that your word would be like an implanted seed in our hearts and the kingdom of God would grow within us. And Lord, we pray that you would give our minds understanding, our hands the desire to put this into practice. And Father, lastly, we ask that you really would teach us how to pray. And Lord, most of all, we pray that we would desire above all things in this life, your kingdom. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please be seated. Keep that Bible open in front of you in your lap. Have you ever been totally exhausted just by the warm-up? Have you ever been somewhere where the warm-up was totally exhausting? I'll never forget my first day, um, the track team in high school. Anybody run track right now in high school? Anybody ran track when you all were in high school? Remember those days? I'll never forget my first day of track practice. We got there, and the coach said, run a mile for the warm-up. I remember thinking, like, I have never intentionally ran more than a mile in my life. That's like the extent of my running is a mile, and that was the warm-up. And I remember after that warm-up mile, you know, that feeling you get when your legs are all jiggly and stuff, and you feel like you're going to fall over, I remember being totally intimidated and thinking I was not going to make it through the first ever track practice, because the warm-up was by itself more than I had ever done. Well, if you were to look down at Matthew chapter 6 for just a second, look down at verse 9. I've been spending weeks on just one sentence. (laughs) And you may be thinking, this is as as simple as the prayer gets, and yet you are making me have this incredibly long warm-up. The warm-up itself is challenging. Uh, But what I want to suggest to you that what you have in your lap in front of you is the greatest teaching in human history on how you and I can pray to the divine, how you and I can relate to the God who made all things. But already we've gone through some difficult things, right? This is already like a running a mile. Look at uh, verse 9 right there. We talked about what the word hour means, right? We're reminded that even when we pray by ourselves, we're supposed to be remembering each other, the, the body of Christ, that we're not just praying to my God, it's also our God. We remember what it means that we call God Father, that we are adopted into his family by faith in his Son, And there's that amazing tension, right, where God cares about all of the details of our lives because God is Father. And yet there's also this tension, as close and as personal as God our Father is to each one of us, he's also where? He's in heaven, and he is holy, holy, holy. 
And although he's father, we also hallow his name. We revere him. And that's just like the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer. You may be thinking, all right, that's already too much theology for this early in the morning, but that's just the warm-up, friends. But now, verse 10, if you look down at verse 10, what I wanna suggest to you is that whole first sentence, the last three weeks, it's only been the warm-up mile. Now comes what I would suggest to you is the hardest thing to pray in the Lord's Prayer. If you get this, everything else is downhill from here. And look at verse 10. What does Jesus teach you and I to pray? Your kingdom come. Whose will? My will? Your will? God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, what I want to suggest to you is that is the hardest thing, but also ultimately the most beautiful thing that you can pray. Not that my will would be done, not that your will would be done, but that God's will would be done. And not just done in the sense that we get to go to heaven when we die. God's will, yes, for the future, but also God's will right now, today, for your life. That is hard to pray, but Christian, this is the heart cry of every believer throughout all time, is that we look forward to the kingdom of God. Now, what I'm suggesting to you is it's actually very hard for you to pray that. God, your will be done. Not my will, but your will to be done. If you think that's easy, just try it when your life gets difficult, okay? It's a very hard thing to pray. And as I've thought about this, it occurred to me that our sermon series uh, through the Lord's Prayer is called what? Anybody know? It's on the screen. It's called Teach Us to Pray. <laughs> there are context clues. But notice, it doesn't say teach us how to think about prayer, it doesn't say, teach us the theology of prayer. It says what? Teach us to pray. So we're gonna end a little short this morning, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend an extended period of time praying together. We're gonna have church leaders all throughout the room. We're gonna have our pastor emeritus and his wife up front who is available for you to pray with right now. We're gonna try to actually pray together as God's beloved people. I mean, remember when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, remember that? Remember that story, Jesus turns over, the, he makes the whip and he you know, whips things and turns over tables. Remember what he says? Jesus says, my house shall be a house of what? Does he say sermons and songs? What does he say? Some of you think prayer is the, the least interesting part of a worship service. But Jesus says what? My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So we're gonna spend some time praying together an extended time, and we're gonna have leaders available for you to go up and just pray with and just say, I need prayer for this. It's not teach us how to think about prayer. It's teach us to pray. So with that then, there are some things you need to understand, and there's theology to understand, and there's the enlightenment that comes from looking at the truth of God's word. So in, in able to, uh, to equip you to understand how to pray, we're gonna look at that verse just verse 10 very closely so that it's gonna shape your prayer life and then we're gonna try to put it into practice. Make sense? So hopefully I'm gonna train you and then we're gonna practice it, right? Because I can't just tell you to say, Lord, your will be done. You need to pray that for yourself today, right now. That is the greatest need that you have this morning. So let's go down. What does it mean when we say your kingdom come? Look at verse 10, your kingdom. Who's the your right there? Is that you, your kingdom? No, the you right there is God's kingdom. And if you were to read the Gospels, you'll know that uh, many times this is called the kingdom of God. But sometimes Matthew will call it the kingdom of what? Anybody know? 
Sometimes they'll refer to it as the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't let that trip you up. The kingdom of heaven is just the same thing as the kingdom of God. There's just a sensitivity to Jewish thought that Matthew's writing with. So he doesn't always want to use God's name, so he'll just say heaven. It's, it's very similar to what you and I sometimes do, right? Have you ever heard someone say, heaven forbid? You know, like, heaven forbid the sermon go on too long. You know, have you ever heard somebody say that? No, I've never heard anybody say that. It sounds a little softer than if you were to say, God forbid, right? Um, or if you were to say, heaven help us. That's a little softer than saying, God help us, right? You don't want to use the Lord's name in vain, so sometimes you substitute God's name for the word heaven. So, you know, this is how Jesus talks about it in Matthew. Uh, chapter 4, uh, Jesus says, repent, uh, turn from your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, So the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God, and that is what Jesus teach us, teaches us to pray for. Look at verse 10, your kingdom come. We want God's kingdom to be here. So that brings up the question then, friend, what is the kingdom of God? I mean, really, if somebody stopped you and asked you if you were a Christian, most of you would probably say yes. And then if I said, okay, so who do you follow? Who's your spiritual leader? Every Christian would say who? Jesus. And then if I were to ask you, what is Jesus' favorite sermon topic? Of all of Jesus' teachings, what's the thing that's the center? What does he keep coming back to? And it's actually the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, think about all the parables. There's so many parables. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower going out to scatter seed everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a plant that's growing underneath the surface and you don't see it. And then one day, it's ready. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that gathers all kind of fish into the sea. And then at the end of the age, the angels will separate out the wicked from the righteous. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Christian, if this is Jesus's number one topic, you and I should study what it means. And because it's Jesus's number one topic, guess where it appears? In the Lord's prayer. Of course, it's in the Lord's prayer. So what is the kingdom of God? Uh, Patrick Schreiner is a New Testament uh, scholar. He teaches at, um, I don't know, some seminary. I can't remember right now. He used to teach up in Portland. Uh, but he defined the kingdom of God. This is it, the best explanation I can give, although, of course, the kingdom of God is a pretty broad topic. Uh, he said the kingdom of God is King Jesus's reign over God's people in God's world, Right? So it's the king's reign, the king's power over whom? God's people, where? In God's world. That's the kingdom of God. King Jesus' reign over his people's lives in the world that he created, you know, the world that you and I live in. But what I want you to grasp so profoundly, if you can, is Jesus, this is, so this is where our culture is bumping up against what Jesus says, right? Because we have our own cultural understandings. But I need you to grasp this, this distinction for just a second. Notice that Jesus did not come proclaiming a movement. You know, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, I want to be a part of a movement. But Jesus did not come bringing a movement. He came bringing a kingdom. Uh, Josh Gibbs made this distinction. He said, movements are governed by the will of people. Right? A, a movement is determined by people. The kingdom is determined by the will of the king. If you want to be part of a kingdom, you have to bow the knee to who? The king. And who is the king to end all kings? Who is the king of the kingdom of God? Well, as early as we know, Christians proclaimed one Lord. And who was that Lord? 
King Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed. Jesus Christos, as they would say in Greek. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And his kingdom is not one where we all have a vote. It's a kingdom where we bow at the feet of the king and we say what? Your will be done. We echo what John the Baptist said. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. He is a king. He is the king. Jesus did not come to start a movement. He came proclaiming a kingdom that will topple all of the kingdoms of man. Now, does that offend you? Does that offend your you know, sensibilities in 21st century America that there is a king who can tell you everything to do, that every area of your life is under his purview? It's a pretty offensive claim. I don't claim to tell you to do that. Jesus says he has total claim over every area of your life. There's no square inch of your life over which Christ does not declare mine. Does that offend you? Does that challenge your autonomy? What does Jesus say to John the Baptist? Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Are you scandalized by the fact that Jesus claims to be king over your life? Are you submitting to the king over every area of your life? See, this is why our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that early part, that was just the warm-up mile. This is the hard part. (laughs) This is the hard part. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith becomes real. This is when the fire either dies or it goes into flame. Either Jesus is worth trusting, either Jesus really is king, or then what are you doing here if not to bow to the feet of the king? So what I want you to see is this idea of kingdom, right? It's Jesus's reign over God's people in this life and in the life to come, right? God's reign over God's world, over God's people, right? What I want you to grasp is this is not just something that Jesus sort of comes up with all by himself. In fact, what I want to suggest to you is that this concept of the kingdom of God, when Jesus says, my disciples pray, your kingdom come, Jesus is actually fulfilling all of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day that the kingdom of God would be here. Now, it's been a while since we did our whole series to the Old Testament, so let me just sort of review a couple of things. If you think about the Old Testament prophets, you know, there's a guy named Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel 34, he looks forward to the kingdom of God, and Ezekiel 34, he says that one day, one day, God himself will come to be the shepherd over his people. All of the other knuckleheads that had been leading God's people, they had led the people astray, but one day, the shepherd the shepherd king will come and it will be no one less than God himself. Daniel chapter two, anyone ever read the book of Daniel? Daniel famously uh, interprets uh, the king's dream. And in this dream, there's this wonderful series of kingdoms that are built. But then in Daniel chapter two, in this king's dream, you know what happens? A rock is hewn from a mountain, uh, uh, not made by any human hand, and a rock is thrown at all of the kingdoms of men, and they all fall, and only one kingdom remains standing, and it's the kingdom of God, and it fills the entire earth. Daniel was looking forward to the kingdom of God, when the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. It's Revelation 11. It's what Daniel was looking forward to. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. If you were to go to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi says that one day the Lord whom you seek 
will suddenly come to his temple. And of course, Isaiah most famously said, one day every valley shall be made low and every mountain and hill and the crooked shall become straight. The rough places will become level and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What were the Old Testament prophets yearning to see? In Jesus' life, what was everyone wanting to know? When will the king come? When will the kingdom be here? When will justice and righteousness and truth and peace and joy actually enter our world? And Jesus Christ has the audacity to say he is the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Become a citizen. Be the kind of person that does what? Says, God, your will be done, not mine. Friends, this is the good news of the kingdom. The king has come. And he's offering citizenship to anyone who wants to be a part of that kingdom, whether you are male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Greek, all can become citizens of that kingdom. So when Jesus says, look at verse 10, your kingdom come, you may be feeling a little bit of a, of a tension right now. Does that mean the kingdom is here? Or when we say your kingdom come, are we talking about the, the day that Jesus returns and he makes all things new and there's the consummation of all things? Well, which is it? Is, is the kingdom here or is it something in the future? Well, Christians have, you know, argued about that question and wrestled with it, but I think the most honest answer is what almost all scholars now teach, which is that the kingdom of God is here, but not fully here yet. Already, but not yet. That's the famous phrase. The kingdom of God is already here, but not fully here. So let me give you an example of that. What do I mean by it's not here yet? When Jesus says, your kingdom come, Christian, you and I are praying for the return of Jesus, that just like Jesus entered our world 2,000 years ago, there will come a day that Jesus visibly, bodily, and to end all times will come again and he will make all things new. Heaven and earth will be reunited. The project that God started in the garden will be reignited and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. The wicked will be cast to hell and the righteous will inherit a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You will have a physical body. It'll be like Jesus's physical body. If you believe Jesus is back from the dead and has something like a physical body that can eat broiled fish, which is what Luke says he does, then that's what you and I have to look forward to. Jesus' body is the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the proof that one day everything will be made new. Do you want to be part of that kingdom or do you want to be part of hell? That's the great question of faith, right? Whose will do you want done? Now that's, of course, something that we have not seen yet. Jesus has not returned so we look forward to that day. So there is a sense that when you and I pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the kingdom of heaven to break into our world with Jesus' return. But I don't want you to think that just, just praying about Jesus' return is we can just say, okay, we're done. Because there's also a sense that the kingdom of God is here and now. Jesus says that if you experience the power of God, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And in fact, anytime someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, anytime someone repents from their sins and looks to Christ for salvation, the kingdom of God grows. And here's another beautiful thing. When we experience great righteousness, peace, and joy, you and I are actually experiencing foretastes of the kingdom of God itself. 
You know, to me, the, the best, you know, taste of the kingdom that I can see is when we, when I, I went to Camp Levi this past summer. Uh, if you were with us, you know, we celebrated Camp Levi on Friday night, but there's just a foretaste of the kingdom of God because people, regardless of their disabilities, uh, people that other people see right through are welcomed and celebrated, all glorifying God. And there's a sense of seeing the beauty in another human. And it's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. You know, um, you know, anybody know what, what was Monday? Anybody know what Monday was? Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So uh, you know, if you don't know this, every, every year I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter uh, from a Birmingham jail during this week. And Monday night, <laughs> I made my family during dinner listen to the I Have a Dream speech. And uh, my kids kind of think it's strange, uh, but there's something to uh, African-Americans being given full access to rights of education and improving their lives, that is a foretaste of the kingdom. Now, I'm not equating the civil rights movement or any political movement with the kingdom of God. But Paul says in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. So anytime, Christian, you have ever prayed for righteousness... Have you ever prayed for righteousness to be at work in our world? For justice? For people to be at peace with one another? Peace in our time? How many of you have prayed for what's going on in Ukraine right now? Have you prayed for peace? Christian, do you realize any prayer for righteousness, justice, the world to be put to rights? Christian, what you are actually praying for is the kingdom of God. You are praying for the return of Jesus because when Jesus is on the throne... When heaven and earth are united, death will be no more. War will be no more. We will beat our plowshares into pruning forks and all of our weapons of war into farm tools. <laughs> That's what Isaiah says. Isaiah is looking forward to the kingdom. You know, uh, there's a great book called After You Believe, and it looks up this question of, like, if all I'm supposed to do in this life is believe in Jesus and then convince as many other people as I can to also believe in Jesus, and then I'm supposed to hang around till I die, <laughs> or Jesus will come back. I mean, really, what is the purpose of my life then? Is that really all the Christian life has to offer? Believe in Jesus, hang around till you die? <laughs> well, friends, don't forget the kingdom is also here and now. When you, for God's glory, work hard, to the glory of God, when you love your family, when you promote justice and peace and joy, the kingdom grows little by little. The purpose of life is not just to hang around till you die. The purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and to pray for his kingdom to come. Is it making sense? Look down at verse 10. God, may your kingdom come. Jesus how does, the, how does the Bible end? What are the last words of the Bible? Anybody know? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Your kingdom come. Jesus, come back right now. Uh, you know, that's hard to pray. This is why you need to practice to pray. You know, you know why it's hard to pray? Because there's some football games this afternoon that some of you want to catch. You know, have you heard the old pastor joke? You know, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Everybody raises their hand. He goes, okay, who wants to go this afternoon? All the hands go down. <laughs> Do you really want Jesus to come today? Do you want him to return today, right? This is part of why 
It's not just how to think about prayer. We've got to learn to desire the kingdom, to yearn for the return of Christ. Lord Jesus, come quickly. But there's also a sense that if he tarries, our desire is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, that if he tarries, that we can still live for the kingdom of God. Is that making sense? Um, you know why this is so hard? Um, you know why this is so hard? Um, I forgot who it was. I, I wish I could attribute it to um, somebody, but uh, I think it was a lady who said this. The problem with saying, you know, your will be done, not mine, is that it actually inverts so many of our prayers. And her point was, do you and I, do we regard as holy what God regards as holy? <laughs> or do we want God to regard as holy what we want? <laughs> You know, when you and I pray, are we praying for God's kingdom to come, for us to align ourselves with his mission, or are we asking God to align himself with our mission? Or let me say it a different way. When you pray, are you asking God to just bless your will, or are you asking that God's will will be done by you? Friends, this is the hardest prayer, and I think the reason I, I say that is also because this is the prayer that Jesus Christ himself had to pray on the night when he was betrayed. You know, famously, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Who betrays him? Judas, with a friend. Friend. Gives him a kiss, right? Before that all happens, Jesus is praying in the garden. Uh, there's so much uh, weighing on Jesus that it says that his sweat is like blood. And what does Jesus say at the end of Matthew? Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. If that was hard for Jesus to pray, do you think it's going to be hard for you to pray that? So let me ask you this. Could you pray right now, God, your will be done in my health, in my family? in my work. God, your will be done in my relationships. God, your will be done in every area of my life. And here's the thing, Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have been born again, the Spirit in you says yes. Although the flesh is saying, no, 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 no. You can't run more than a mile. The Holy Spirit in you is saying what? You can do it with my help. What does Jesus say? The flesh is weak, but the spirit inside you is willing. You know, in the great divorce, C.S. Lewis, you know, he has this inimical way of writing, doesn't he? C.S. Lewis in the great divorce says, at the end of the times, uh, there will only be two kind of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. You know, you know what the worst part about track practice is? You know what the worst part is? We, we, I ran, I'll never forget, I ran that mile, and then they made me run hurdles or something horrible like that, some kind of weird form of ancient torture. Running in a circle for no reason, jumping over stuff, and uh, for no reason... Why am I jumping over things? And then they said, you know how they were gonna, you know how they finished practice the first time and every time? What did you have to do? You had to run another mile. 
I was like, what is this? And then running the very, very last mile on the very last lap, what did the coach make us do? Run as fast as you can for the last mile. And I was like, I'm already half dead. Why are you making me run all the more? And now the last lap of the last mile, you're gonna make me run as hard as you can? You know, I, I don't think I got what the coach was doing until I got home that night. And I was like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> I can do it. Friends, this prayer may seem intimidating. Your legs may feel wobbly. You probably already know what the Spirit wants you to confess. You probably already know what area of your life you need to submit to God. It's probably already come to mind. But friends, you can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You can pray, God, your will be done, not mine. But there's only one way to find out. You gotta try it. As we transition now into a time of prayer, hopefully something is has come to your mind. Uh, what I want you to do is we, we spend the next, I don't know, a few minutes praying. Uh, what I want, I want you to encourage you to do is actually grab your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter six if you don't already have it there. And what I want you to do is I want you to start seeing the Lord's Prayer as a guide. Think of it as an outline. So pause after every word. Pray for not just yourself, but pray for all of the believers in the room right now, for the church worldwide, our Father. Yes, he is your Father, but he's also our Father. Confess him as Lord. Talk about how holy God is. I mean, do you regard the name of the Lord as hallowed? Right, that's the beauty, right? You know, I, I talked about it like the, the loving father, you know, the intimacy of your father who loves you and the holiness of God are like the two beams through which a hammock can kind of rest in. And Christian, that's like the rest that you and I have is when we regard him as holy and we know him as a loving dad, Right? And we want to pray in verse 10 that his kingdom would come. If you've never prayed for the return of Christ, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Try it. And then try what Jesus says. Not as I will, but as you will. Over every area of your life. If you need help praying, or if you just want someone who is godly to pray for you, remember what James says. The prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much as it is working. Uh, we're going to have uh, people in the back. Uh, I'll be in the back this way. Uh, Kenny and Kay are going to be right here. The Taylors are going to be here. Larry and Sally Young will be up front. But with that in mind, friends, let's now dedicate this time to prayer, and then we're just going to spend extended time. If you need prayer, go to someone, and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you because you first loved us, and you have called us by name. Father, would we hear the message of your son, Jesus, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, it is like a seed growing underneath the surface. And Lord, one day harvest will come. And so, Father, right now we surrender our wills to yours. Jesus Christ, over every area of our lives, prove yourself king. Will we bow our knees to you? And Father, I pray that we would learn to trust you uh, Father, you know that we have so many reasons not to trust leaders, not to trust anyone in this life. And Lord, I praise you that when you were alive, you did not entrust yourself to any man because you knew what was in man. But Jesus, I thank you that you are not just a man, although you were fully human. You are the Lord God Almighty. 
and you are worth trusting. Lord Jesus, teach us what it means to trust you and to submit everything to you, our work, our school, our family, our relationships, our lives. Lord, would we learn to trust you? Brothers and sisters, continue in prayer now.
Father, we are thankful for all the ways you lead us in prayer each and every day. May your will be done in our lives, in our church, in our community, and we would see more and more of you. Father, we also at this time lift to you those in particular times of need within our congregation and our knowledge. And as we read these names, may we be names that stay with us and our prayers throughout the week. For Randy Templeton, Susanna Joshual, John Bueno, Clyde Hoffman, Sean McCoy, Harry Gill, Gail Johnson, Paul Della, and Lynn Toombs. Father, we continue to pray for another expression of your local body. We pray for Path Church in Central Point, that their mission to connect people with you would be everything that they do throughout the week, not just on a Sunday, and that they would live out the gospel each and every day. And Father, as we think of that, we think of our desire to be involved in church planting and to see church planting happen throughout your world, that people would come and celebrate and know you. This and more we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.